Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Stockwell service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. A very good morning to you this morning. If um, you don't know me, my name is Lou and I am one of the leaders here in Stockwell. And um, if you've not been here before or you've not come recently, um, it might help you to know that we are going through the book of Luke as a church at the moment. And Luke is one of the Gospels. The Gospel means good news. So we are looking at what is this good news? How does it apply to us? And how does it apply to other people? So you are so welcome this morning. I wonder how you felt when you heard this passage on the screen To me, I felt, if I'm honest, I felt a bit heavy, a bit downcast because it seemed quite extreme. Um, I love the culture that we live in it for so many reasons. But one thing that I'm sure you will agree with me on is that we celebrate feeling good. You know, you only live once, hashtag blessed. Live for the moment. And actually, sometimes it feels hard to... um, In our society, I think sometimes we can try and minimise or move away from suffering because it feels difficult. And this passage really reminds us of the difficult times. And so as we look at it, we... um, Sorry, I'm a bit nervous. I just lost myself. Okay. Um, So how is this passage relevant for us living in the society that we live in? Well, let's look at the context so we can understand more of what's happening. So this is Luke 6. Um, What we know from Luke so far is that Jesus has been born. Jesus has not long ago started his ministry. And what we know when Jesus starts his ministry is that he is full of the Holy Spirit. He is the long-awaited Messiah. And he has spent 40 days and 40 nights in um, the wilderness being tempted by Satan, and he comes out full of the Holy Spirit. And in up until you up till to Luke six, what we see is that he's going around healing. He's going around proclaiming the gospel to people. And for some people, this is such good news. They're so excited. They've been healed. There's new hope. And for other people, there they are feeling a bit confused by who he is, a bit perplexed. Some of them are offended. He says some quite outrageous things. And actually, as I was reflecting on this, I think we can look at those passages and see that um, what the Pharisees are saying, and we can think, oh, they're so dismissive of Jesus, or why do they find him so offensive? But actually, I really felt prompted that so often we can have an idea of who God is in our minds, and then we read something that challenges that, and it reframes who he is. And for me, this passage was really that. I have an idea of God being this wonderful God who really wants to give me good things all the time, and that is true, but there's also a side of Jesus that involves surrender and sacrifice. So we know that he was full of the Holy Spirit. We also know in this passage that he drew crowds with him. It's almost like he's this magnet that people are drawn to him, even when they're a bit confused by who he is. They're drawn to him. And so we see people have come from Judea, where else? Sidon, Tyre. And they want to hear what he's going to say. So they all gather around him. Some of them have walked days to be there. That's how much they wanted to hear him. And what he's doing before he utters these blessings and woes is he's healing people. So in that moment, he is the epitome of hope and healing. People are like, 
God, he's making me physically whole. Now what's he going to say to make me spiritually and emotionally whole? So if it were me, I'd be so excited. I'd be on tenterhooks. He's about to say his first sermon. And what does he say? Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you when you're hungry. Blessed are you who mourn. Blessed are you when people hate you. And bearing in mind the people that were coming to hear Jesus, a lot of them were, were living in poverty. A lot of them were oppressed by the Roman rulers and the authorities. They'd been lied to, cheated. And if I were them, I'd be wanting them to say, I want Jesus to say something that would make everything disappear and to be suddenly whole on the inside. And what he's saying is that, that what he's saying is that This passage is all about attitude. It's in their pain that he is. He's not come to lift them out of their circumstances. He's come to meet them in them. The word blessed here is, um, the Greek word is makarios, and it actually means flourishing. So he's saying, flourishing are you who are poor, who are hungry. Do you know why this passage feels hard to read? Because 2,000 years, years later, the same is true for us. And we can so often want a God who's going to lift us out, who's going to make everything okay straight away. I don't know about you, but I'd love God to, pour, to, to help me escape from some of the difficult things that I'm facing. Relationship breakdown, money issues, ill health. And the temptation is when he doesn't do that, that is for us to look for our salvation in other places. We can so often liken God to a supernatural being where we press a button and we get the answer that we want. But Jesus is saying that this isn't the way to be more happy and fulfilled. You may have heard of a study that made headlines recently, and this study was really significant because it was an 85-year-long study. This is the longest ever study on happiness and what makes people happy. And I love that when the, when, um, the findings of these kind of studies are so just make me laugh because they often say what things that are rooted in the Bible. And this one is no different. So I listened to Dr. Waldinger talk about this. He said, time and time again, we look to wealth, we look to fame, so to be seen and known and celebrated, and we look to achievement to be happy. And we love a metric, don't we? Because you can measure these things. You can measure how many Instagram followers you have. You can measure your salary and how you see it increasing. You can measure the size of your house and then wanting the next thing. But he says, time and time again, the research showed that it's connection with people that bring happiness. It's connection, it's relationships that bring happiness. But the world tells us that this isn't it. And the wonderful thing about this passage is that we see the hardships, the mourning, the weeping, the hunger. That is an opportunity into connection with God. It's an opportunity into connection with others. And what do the woes bring us when we're happy now, when we're laughing, when we're rich? I think they lead us to complacency and self-sufficiency. And Jesus isn't saying that these things are bad. It's the attitude that comes with it that can be difficult. We were designed for dependence on God. And we were designed to be um, in relationship with him, needing him. 
But this isn't a new problem, you'll be pleased to know. If you go back to the right at the beginning of Scripture, we can see that time and time again, we look to trust our own wisdom rather than God's. So Adam and Eve in the garden chose to eat the fruit, and they were trusting in their own wisdom rather than God's. When Abraham was promised a son by God, he was longing for a son, but he got impatient, so he trusted his own wisdom and had a baby with Hagar. We can see the Israelites, Andy preached on this a couple of weeks ago, the Israelites, they got bored of waiting um, for Moses to come down the mountain with the promises of God, trusted their own wisdom and uh, worshipped the golden calf. This is a common problem. This is a theme throughout our lives that we, we can so easily look to trust our own wisdom rather than God's. This is part of the human condition and it is a constant battle and temptation. When we have all we need, we can be tempted to trust God, lo- God less. How often do I cry out to God when things are going well versus things are going badly? And just a small illustration of this, for years when I've been on holiday, I've just stopped doing my quiet time. I've stopped praying as much because this isn't because I was a bad person. I wanted a break. But actually, what I realized is because I was well fed, I had everything I needed. I was on a sun lounger. (laughs) It was quite nice. But actually, is that really good for my soul? No. And then I contrast this with I'm standing in the school playground and a 30-year-old dad who I know tells me that he's been diagnosed with a brain tumor. And how much do I know that I need God in that moment, that I need his intervention? Jesus is teaching us about God's upside-down kingdom. When we are poor, then we become rich. Blessed are we when we mourn and hunger. And I think perhaps this is why the church is growing in places where there is hardship and oppression. We look at places like Iran, Africa, Asia, and the church is exploding. And I think in part it's because they know they are so desperate for a saviour. They are living in circumstances where they they know their need of God. And then we look at Europe and we look at the church in the UK that, you know, if you read the headlines, it's, oh, church is in decline. We're longing for revival. We're longing for our nation to know and see and trust in God. But I think part of the problem is that we can often buy and consume our way out of our need for God. The reality is that grief is part of the everyday experience of being human. We bear pain, loss, disappointment, and trauma. And some of us today might be mourning. We might be living in disappointment or oppressed in some way. And if you don't hear anything else in this talk, what I do want you to hear is this, that you are seen. God sees you and we see you this morning. And you are so welcome here. He looks us in the eye and declares that we are blessed, regardless of our circumstances. And his desire is for us to flourish in the place that we are in, just as he himself did. And that's not to minimize your circumstances or say they don't matter, because they really do. But it's to say that this isn't the end of your story, and this isn't the end of my story either. God doesn't take away our vulnerability, he enters into it. 
And if we're looking for a God who will give us everything we need, we're not grasping who he is because he has never promised us that. But we do know that the man of sorrows himself promises to be with us in the place of our pain. In difficult times, I felt it really impossible to trust God or see him in that moment. I remember vividly times where I was sat in my bedroom floor banging my fists against the carpet because the the spiritual and emotional poverty that I felt in that moment was so extreme. And I was like, God, where are you? But actually what I can say from those times is that I have known God's goodness and blessing over me. Yes, I felt like I was mourning. Well, I was mourning and weeping. But blessing and flourishing has come out of that place. And the same is true for everybody here. There is something so raw and beautiful about finding God in difficult times. Tish Harrison Warren in her book, Prayer in the Night, sums it up so well. She says, The things I'm most afraid of are the very things that will set me free. The desolate places in my life that I most want to avoid are the very places God wants to meet me. And later in her book, she says, I'm afraid of the dark, but increasingly, I'm more afraid of missing the kind of beauty and growth that can be found there. It's in this place that he meets us and gives us the hope of his permanence and his presence. We're training our eyes to be able to see light in the darkness and the promise of what's to come. And what do I mean about what is to come? Well, if you have an actual physical Bible with you, you will see that there's some cross-references in the passage. And in verse 20, there's a cross-reference to Matthew 25, 34. And the cross-references give us more context around what Jesus is saying. It's linking together the whole narrative of Scripture. And the cross-reference says, uh, Then the... Matthew 25, 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of this world. He's saying that we are blessed, we have an inheritance, we have so much to look forward to. Our current circumstances are not the end, there is a bigger picture. And the other cross-reference I just want to draw you to is in verse 25, which takes us to, so that's the woes. It says, woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. And the cross-reference is Proverbs 14, verse 13. Even in laughter, the heart may ache and joy may end in grief. The reality is that our circumstances don't last, whether they are good or bad. A.W. Tozer has written... We who follow Christ are men and women of eternity. We, pers- we must put no confidence in the passing scenes of the disappearing world. We must resist every temptation of Satan to palm off upon us the values that belong to mortality. Nothing less than forever is long enough for us. Part of being blessed and flourishing is knowing that we are living with the long term in mind. Knowing that this is not all there is. And if we look at the passage, it promises us that when we live God's way, regardless of our circumstances, we will be satisfied. We will laugh. So what would it look like to reframe what blessing is? Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are we who wait on God. 
Blessed are we who who pursue surrender over sufficiency. Blessed are we who follow the feet of Jesus, who lived a life of sacrifice and surrender, but was wholly blessed. What does that mean for our choices? You see, as followers of Jesus, we are called to live, live differently. And when we see in the passage, verse 20, when, so, so he had a whole crowd gathered around him. But when he said these words, he looked at his disciples and, and then said the blessings and woes. He wasn't saying it to everybody. It was almost like he was saying, if you want to follow me, this is what life is like. This is what the cost is to following me. So do we sell our possessions and empty our food covers? (laughs) I'm not suggesting that this is the case. But what I do want to say is that our lives are significant and our choices are significant. But if we don't realise that our lives are significant, then we won't really care about the small choices that we make. And actually, sometimes we get really hung up on the big choices we make, like who we marry, where to live, that we forget the importance of the small choices that impact the quality of our lives. So maybe we skip church because it doesn't matter if we're there. Maybe we skim over some of the passages that I was talking about earlier where They feel a bit uncomfortable, and we just kind of skip them for another day. Maybe we don't, I don't know, maybe we compromise on our integrity at work because that feels easier and it's easier to fit in than it is to stand out. Life pivots on small choices. God loves us so much. He loves you, and our lives are significant. He created us for a purpose. And if we want to live a flourishing, blessed life, we, we don't have to be doing everything else, everything that everyone else is doing. We can find purpose, we can flourish, we can be blessed in our pain and in our circumstances. We can be blessed in surrender. I promise you, I have had so many times where I've surrendered and it's been so hard and I've been like God what are you doing this seems like a ridiculous thing to do and I've surrendered and I've known blessing that comes from it I've known blessing that comes from giving money away rather than going to Zara and buying a new outfit though I do do that too because that's lots of fun but there can be such blessing that comes from pouring yourself out and giving away rather than keeping So what I want to do now is I've got some questions that I'm going to put up on the screen behind me and I'm just going to allow some time for some reflection. I like to do this when I come on talk because sometimes we can be bombarded with lots of information and it's really good practice just to sit and reflect and to consider what we've heard and actually to think about what might God be speaking to me about this morning? What is stuck and what might God be saying? So the the questions are behind me. Um, Peter's just going to play. I'm going to give us about five minutes just to sit. Maybe you want to make some notes. Maybe just think about it. Maybe have a pray. And I'm going to come back after that. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are mourn, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. 
Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. There is blessing and flourishing to be found in that place. And my question this morning is, is Jesus enough? And it's okay if you don't feel like he is enough. But what perhaps you might want to pray is, God, help me see that you're enough. Despite how I may feel, help me see that you are God and that you are enough. And that you haven't forsaken me. And that you haven't forgotten me. And that I can be blessed and I can flourish in that place. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come now as we worship and as we reflect? And God, would you show us that you are enough for every single person here, that you are good. Show us your goodness, God. Show us your goodness.